when was the last time you had a call to action? Being motivated to do something is temporary. Being compelled to do something means it's here to stay. This is the story of a man who was compelled by his call to action and never looked back. Welcome to another episode of Long Beach Locals, the only podcast in Long Beach that highlights local businesses and the people behind them. When you enjoy this episode, please like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. This podcast is brought to you by Active Life. I'm your host, Justin Mosley, and today our guest is president of the Long Beach Soup Kitchen, Robert Blau. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Can you tell us about your journey from retiring at Take Two Interactive to becoming the kitchen president of Long Beach Soup Kitchen? You got about three or four hours? I'm here to stay. Uh, so that's an interesting question. So worked in the in the toys and video game space for my entire life, my entire career, and uh, got involved in a management change at Take-Two Interactive, and the change didn't work for both, either I or, my, or, or them, or the new management team. So I uh, voluntarily retired. Chose not to go back to work because I would have had to have moved to California or gotten into a different industry, and I wasn't prepared to do that. So, And I was fortunate that I had some savings, and my wife worked, and I was able to re keep re staying in retirement. About a year, about six months after I retired, the earthquake in Haiti happened, and that was in, uh, in 2010. It was, I guess it was January of 2010. And six months later, approximately six months later, I decided that I needed to do something to give back to the world because I've only taken, I've gotten, I've never given a whole lot. When I was working in the city, I would randomly buy a sandwich for a guy on the street or a woman on the street. But that's about the experience, the, 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 the level of experience I had with, with volunteering. And I found this global volunteer network out of New Zealand. I paid my way to get to Haiti, slept on a floor, bathed in basically, you know, dribbles of water, um, drank out of, drank, our water was out of bags. It was, it was pretty horrific. And the, the scene was, was about as devastating as I could have ever imagined. And I didn't imagine how bad it was going to be. So I was there for two weeks. And I guess the interesting part was not only, you know, did I help a lot of in different ways, I didn't necessarily, I don't think I affected any one person's life, but we affected a lot of people's lives over the course of the two weeks. But interestingly enough, I mean, Facebook was, I guess, in existence at the time, and I knew nothing about it. So I was there with, I, mean, I guess, 20 volunteers. 18 of them were 18, 19, 20-year-olds. 20, 20 and then there was me who was 50-something and another woman and another guy who weren't the same age as I. And when we left, they were all like, you know, okay, what's your, you know, you, are you on Facebook? And, you know, and I didn't even know what it was. So I, I ended up joining Facebook for that reason and still keep in touch and with a lot of those volunteers. This is whatever it's been, 20 years, 22 years later, 10, 12 years, whatever the, listen, my math is terrible. <laughs> uh, so that's how, that's how the journey started from work to volunteerism. And my wife, basically, when I came home from Haiti, now I had gone to Haiti a second time as well. It uh, wasn't as devastating at that point. We were working with a, with a monastery and we were helping feed people and building houses, but it wasn't that same de level of dev devastation. When I came back the first time in 2010, I was a mess. I walked into my house and we had five TVs, we had three cars, and there were people that there had nothing and they were happier than most everybody that I knew. I mean, it was just miraculous. They, they, they had just experienced that 250,000 people died in that earthquake. And they, most of the people we met were 
just grateful and happy and content. And that was their life. And that's all they knew. And here I come home and I've got six TVs and my kids are spoiled. They're all in college and they're doing this and that. And I decided that at that point, I thought about getting rid of all the TVs, but that didn't happen. I came to my senses yeah. very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> didn't get rid of the cars and yeah. all that. But I, I, I realized that I needed to do something other than just take and take and take and take. So my wife had been volunteering at the soup kitchen for years, about five or six years earlier. And I decided it was time. And uh, it just so happened there was an ad in the local Herald, Long Beach Herald, about they were looking for a, a cook on Tuesdays. And raised my hand, said yes, and they, they hired me. And I started cooking on Tuesdays and loved every minute of it. And, and I guess part of my experience in the corporate world helped me help them build a better organization because it was really run by a bunch of, no, I don't want to say novices, they were all doing great jobs, but they weren't business folks. They mm -hmm. weren't managing their inventory. They weren't looking at finances. And then Sandy comes along and our, the president at the time resigned and we were being run by the uh, Interfaith Nutrition Network. We were not our own standalone 50C3, which is what we are now. We were using their their uh, their their paperwork, whatever whatever it may be called. Uh, and the woman who runs it asked me if I would take over as the president. And I said, "What was I going to say? No. <laughs> it was hard. It would be hard to say no. Right. So I, I agreed to do it and uh, used my corporate world experience, my business experience, to build what is now a much bigger, better, stronger organization. Uh, when when we when I joined, we did no fundraising, none, zero, zip. I'm not sure how we survived over all those years because we've been in Long Beach for 23, 24 years. We've been at this location at 140 West Pine Street for." 15, 16, 17 years. So not sure how they survived. And we had one employee at the time. We had to pay one employee and yet we were able to do it. I think we were, you know, every year was a challenge. Mm -hmm. I don't know that any year we ended up with, you know, a whole lot of money in the bank, but the donations kept, com kept coming and we were able to pay. Donations kept coming, we were able to buy food. Uh, today, we're, we're a serious volunteer-based organization with no paid employees because we decided that we could all do it ourselves and pitch in. And we have our financial position is as good as it's been, but it's never good enough because we have to plan for what if donations stop? Mm -hmm. Do we have enough money to carry us through? How many years do we have? To, what's our burn rate? How much money do we need to run the soup kitchen every year so that we can continually be in let's say five years and not get one penny of, of donation money. Right. So that's where that's basically it's the, my corporate world that help us build this. And it's not just me, by the way, Justin, it's, it's a, it's a leadership organization within the soup kitchen that runs the soup kitchen. There's a, a fundraising committee. There's a volunteer supervisor. There's an, a, a, there's various people that have various particular jobs other than just cooking, cleaning, serving. Right. And they, we run the, 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 the soup kitchen. That's, I mean, it's not just an, not just me as a president. It's a lot of people that's behind the scenes. Right. And I applaud you entirely. You know, like that's an amazing, the way to just come up into this, the way the soup kitchen has been running and you being able to come full circle and it, put your expertise to it, it and being able it, to apply. It helped, it helped me too. It helped me feel like I was, you know, that I had some sort of worth in this world after being in the corporate world, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Now I've just used that 
that experience and transferred it over to a non-paying job. But it's it, for the good. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Listen, it's, it, it helps our guests. It helps me, keeps me out of trouble, keeps me involved, and it's an extension of my corporate life. I, I manage people today, and that's what I do, and I help people, which is ultimately the, 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 the one thing that I, that I take the most pleasure out of is helping mm -hmm. our guests. Yeah, and I think that's also something, just to point out, like you call them your guest. You know, like that's something that is very admirable as well, where they're not seen as anything crazy because they're asking for some help. You no, know, I mean, like that's awesome. Listen, Justin, if you want to come by any day at 1115, Monday through Saturday and get a meal, n no questions asked. We don't take names. We don't ask what their situation is. We don't. We think, and, and this is basically our opinion, that that 99.9% .9 of our guests are not homeless. They are food insufficient. They are on a budget, a tight budget, and what we do is we supplement that budget. So if if guest has a choice, do they pay their rent or do they buy food? Well, now they can maybe pay their rent a little bit easier because we're giving them a meal six days a week. We're also we also have a pantry two days a week. So so let me just step back for one second. Before the pandemic, we were serving indoors. We were doing a, a lunch experience. We would serve anywhere from 30 to 40. 40 was the high number of our guests that we would serve. We, pandemic comes along, we start serving meals to go. We started at, at, in the height of the pandemic, we were probably serving 80 to 100 meals a day wow. from 30 to 40. So we were just inundated, slammed. We weren't even a we weren't able to manage it properly because we didn't know how many meals to make and prepare. But we were able to put together enough so that nobody left hungry. Uh, so now it's that, that we decided that we needed a pantry also because these people were in need. No one was going shopping. We weren't going shopping, mm -hmm. right? We were Go we yeah. were kind of picking and choosing where we went and how we went. A lot of these folks didn't have even have that accessibility. So we started. Op we opened up a pantry, a to go pantry five days a week we've subsequently gotten turned it down to two days a week on mondays and thursdays our guests line up and they have an opportunity to, to take to buy bags of salad not buy <laughs> we give them bags of salad fruit uh, canned goods we actually had uh, ribs available that that trader joe's had donated to us that we were giving away today so they're they're being taken care of very well as well as we can and i think they're and i know they're very very appreciative when i sit there and i look at these the happy faces and the thanks and the please for the most part all of our guests are very very appreciative of what we do I can imagine. I mean, the mission and everything you guys have behind this and the values, like you said, everybody, no one's getting paid anymore. Everybody's happy to do what they're doing because it's something so much bigger than themselves. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. I don't think I ever knew how big this was going to be and how important it was to be in my life. And it's become, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the soup kitchen to, to go to every day and help these folks. I mean, we just started seeing a Ukrainian family. They, they showed up about a month ago, a woman and two sons, and her two sons, and it's just, 
it's it's so rewarding. I mean, most of these guests are everyday guests. Mm-hmm. We've seen them for, I've been here for 15 years, call it. I've seen some of these folks every day for 15 years. Then we get a newbie and another one and another one. And now since the pandemic, there are a lot of new faces, but those new faces are coming every single day. And then this woman shows up unable to speak any English and communicates through Google Translate. And her two sons are absolutely gorgeous. She's in incredibly appreciative they're taking care of they're well-dressed but again we don't ask a whole lot of questions but i will tell you that uh, tomorrow my daughter and i are going to my daughter's a kindergarten teacher and she's going to uh, tutor them all three of them at the library to give them start tutoring them so they can they can acclimate themselves to the life in the united states and going to school in September, hopefully, and be able to communicate. Otherwise, I don't know how these kids would survive. Right. So uh, those are the kinds of outreach that not only is this Ukrainian family, but we do this for anybody that's in need. We will go out of our way to help as much as we can help somebody right. acclimate or, or just get adjusted to a new life or a different life. Yeah, and I like that's the thing, you know, that's where it really becomes that fulfilling point because it, you, like it's just bigger than yourself. You don't ask questions. You're just here because you know your whole heart of hearts. I'm just here to help. Yeah, I'm just here to We're help. You. Every We're single one of us. There's, there's probably 30 active volunteers now. We used to have probably 70 when we were serving inside. We needed more help, uh, but there are 30 active volunteers, and they all are doing this because they want to, not because they just feel like it's something to get out of the house to you know bide some time they're all doing it because they love what they're doing they love giving back and it's now become their lives you know the interesting part is our, the age range of our volunteers are probably in the 50 to 70 range average probably even probably higher than that mid 50s to high 70s and we we are always interested in talking to new prospective volunteers we try and recruit as we're not recruiting, but we're looking if we can for younger volunteers who, uh, you know, maybe it's a it's a housewife who has time on their hands or a, a father that's working night shifts and has availability in the morning. Uh, but we certainly are always interested in talking to younger volunteers because we're all getting, we, our current volunteer base is getting older. I mean, we've got an 80-year-old. We've, we've got two or three 80-year-olds that are wow. volunteering. They're now they're volunteering one day a week. But still, at some point, they're going to say, I just can't do it anymore. I can't drive. I can't come. I can't commit. Not whatever. because they don't want to. It's just no, like just, it's, yeah. it's life's, life's you know, kind of caught up to them a little bit, and they're mm. slowing down. Right now, we've got an 83-year-old who's probably more active than I am. But again, things change. So we're looking for hopefully going to kind of bring in some younger volunteers because we have to have a succession plan there yeah. has to be you know people behind me who want to do what i do people behind our volunteer coordinator nicole who wants to do that because if we don't soup kitchen is going to go away right and it, it can't because of you know what we're doing and who we're serving today in the community uh, hopefully that you know that will happen it'll you know happen and I, I won't have to think about it and we'll just start recruiting and people will start calling and asking. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely going to be something we speak about after this podcast is the hours that I can come in. because <laughs> awesome. I've, I, I've been talking to Larry, the one who connected us about yeah. it, and I am very much interested in that. I want to find the time. I will find the time Great. to do Great. that. We would love to have you. I appreciate that. What motivated you to book a trip to Haiti and volunteer after retiring? And how did that experience shape your desire to help others? 
What motivated me? I have no idea. I don't know if I can say this, but it scared the shit out of me to actually sign the dot on the dotted line that I was going to volunteer and I was going to commit the money and the time and the effort. My kids were not happy. My wife wasn't happy because this was a, a devastated country. I mean, there was there was there was no law. It was you know there was no electricity. There was no food. There was, what I, I you know what I don't. I just felt like I had just retired. I was very fortunate, and here I'm watching the news that you know they're talking about 250,000 people dying, 300,000 more, 300,000 more injured, people with no homes. There yeah. was no hope. So I thought maybe I could lend them some hope, give them some right. hope, help them somehow, some way. And we, we I, you know, I made a lot of f acquaintances and friends. And as I said earlier, the people were incredibly, incredibly happy. I, I don't know how or why. I mm -hmm. really don't. But uh, that experience, again, got me to thinking about what I need to do for the rest of my life because I, you know, I, I retired very early. I was in my 50s, and I just felt like, you know, the timing was right. You know, it's like all the stars aligning. The universe was just giving yeah. you that sign of exactly. like, call to Retirement, action. Haiti, soup kitchen, cook, and then, and then Sandy, and it all kind of just fell into place. I don't know how, mm -hmm. but it did, and it, it works well, for me. It works. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Did you go, did you tell your family before you signed it or did you sign then tell them? No, I kind of, my wife and I, I knew I wanted to do something, but I knew I, I didn't want to do it without a structured organization because I just, I wasn't going to, a lot of people, I, I had read stories about people just getting on a plane and going. I couldn't do that. That was not in my nature. So I researched organizations, found this global volunteer network, sounded very legit, sounded very organized. Uh, everything, they checked all the boxes for me to feel comfortable and for my wife to feel comfortable that I was going to this place that was just in total disarray. Right. And my kids, again, I told them after I signed the, the deal and sent the money and they weren't happy, but they understood. And they were old enough at that point to understand that this was a good thing and that it was an, a necessary thing for me to do. Right. So it worked out. And something I think is really interesting to highlight on that is saying it, it was necessary for you, especially after retiring. A lot of people, when they retire, they're like, all right, I'm going to go live the good life. Right, go travel the, and whatever. play golf. And right, do all those things. Right. But it goes it gets to that point of the constant change in our lives is what also keeps us young and going and moving and feeling energized to keep doing the next thing. Sure. So for you to get to that point of like, all right, this is going to be a big change. After retiring, you're going straight to Haiti to go help the world. That's change, but that's a positive way, and that's the way you're taking it. And so far, it's been just going into the next thing with the soup kitchen, with yeah. everything moving forward is just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, and who knows what my next adventure is going to be? Exactly, because right. you're not you're not complacent. You're no, I, if there's know. an opportunity for me to do something else is with in, involved with the soup kitchen at a different level and different organization, merging with another organization, certainly those those are things that we would welcome because it's just if it helps somebody else, it helps us. Right, and it gets the word out that we're a you know super organization doing a lot of good things in the in the community. I agree. How did your time with the Global Volunteer Network in Haiti impact your perspective on the importance of community service? I think it had probably everything to do with helping community service because, again, coming back and seeing what we had, what I had, not even what we had, what I had as a family and as, as a household 
I realized that I've got it so good. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that don't have it anywhere near as good as we had it. And I think that led me to start to think about how I can give back. And again, timing is everything in life. Yeah. And, you know, it was also, again, the extension of my work to the soup kitchen was a natural transition. My work to the global network and going to Haiti was a natural transition because it was a different transition. But when I got there, again, I was I was the elder statesman of this group. So I was helping tutor these folks. I was helping, you know, I was talking them off the shelf because off the ledge because things were so devastated. So it was, you know, again, it was a, a, a quote unquote management style that I was able to mm-hmm. fulfill with them and also then give back to the people of, of Haiti and then come back here and do it here. Yeah. And you're probably like we said it earlier, you're going to find a way to do it again and just be that positive social influence on people to keep elevating them, motivating them, compelling them to get into be a better person every I day. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. That's my goal. I mean, that's why we're out at the uh, farmer's market every other Saturday. And that's why mm-hmm. we're at all the festivals on the boardwalk to talk t- about what we do, to explain to people that there is a need for our services in Long Beach. When I started doing this, again, timing is, is not my strong suit. 15 years ago, let's call it. I mean, I would I would walk around on these on at, at the parade at the July Fourth parade and I'd see friends of mine and I'd ask them to donate and they would say donate to what I didn't know we had a soup kitchen in Long Beach and again the soup kitchen has been here for twenty plus years Crazy. and nobody knew that we existed because the people who were running the soup kitchen didn't want didn't think the city wanted that exposure. And the city never, ever said that to anybody. Mm-hmm. We're, we're now housed in a city building. We don't pay rent. We don't pay utilities. Without the city of Long Beach helping us, we probably couldn't survive. We, mm-hmm. you know, talking about a burn rate, we'd be out of business in probably a year and a half if we had to pay rent to some, you know, somebody somewhere. So the city was definitely not opposed to us being in Long Beach. And again, as I started, we started ex- getting more exposure. We started getting Herald issues or, or articles written about us, uh, mentions in Newsday articles and uh, exposure in the city. And now we're, and, and we, listen, we never had a pledge letter where we were sending out a yearly letter saying, please help donate. I mean, how many le- pledge letters do you get every Thanksgiving from every not-for-profit organization in the world? And we never, and a local organization never did anything like that. And you were around for 20 plus years. Uh, right. Ne- they never thought about a pledge letter. That's how you generate money to keep the, the machine moving. Yeah. And it's been a very successful. We never did a fundraiser where a couple of years ago, I guess it was about five or six years ago, after we became our own 501c3, we had a cocktail party at J.J. Cooper's, and we had one at Rock and Olive, and then we had one recently at, at Bright Eye Beer. That's how you generate money, and that's how you continue to, to serve the community and serve the guests that we serve every single six days a week. So without that, you don't survive. That's where I came in, and I was able to... to give them the insight about, you know, what we need to do to financially to keep this thing running. Right. And somebody had to say it, you know, somebody had to step up and acknowledge that. But like you said, they didn't know, they didn't even think to do the, that type of thing. I mean, it was, it was, again, they, they just, they were doing their thing. They were serving the 20, 30 people and they were happy doing that. We just felt like we, me, again, some of those other leaders within the organization felt like it was time for us to step up and become a bigger and better organization. We again stated earlier that we were part of the 
the Interfaith Nutrition Network for many, many years, we were one of the first three or four soup kitchens on Long Island that was opened up by the Interfaith Nutrition Network out of Hempstead. So we've been in existence. So we learned from them. We, we, we got direction from the inn. And at some point, we all decided that it was best if we seceded from the union. Mm-hmm. And there were 17 or 18 soup kitchens, and most of them moved on and became their own 501c3, which, by the way, is not an easy process. No. To get to that point, we had to hire accountants. We had, had to hire. We didn't hire. We, we found accountants that did pro bono work. We did some lawyers that did some pro bono work. We paid a little bit of money to get to this point. We had to pay whatever the fees were. To, we had, I mean, it was, it was a year's worth of our treasurer having to do a lot of work to get to this point. And that happened about six or seven years ago. And that's when we decided that we needed to be a bigger, better organization and be financially stable. And this is what it takes to lead to be able to do like succession, be able to get it to be there even when far beyond we're even around or anybody's sure, around. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's the next generation and it's a generation after that because, the you know, homelessness and food insufficiencies, they, it's not going away it's anytime it's soon. Never ending. It, it, it's never ending. It gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, you go to the supermarket and the amount of money you spend on nothing is incredible today. And with people who don't have a lot of money or enough money to continue to buy what they need, you need to have the services that we offer. And you need to have the Martin Luther Kings of the world, the community center. You need to have the Latin organizations that are serving their population. And we serve all. St. Mary's does it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're basically, most of our guests, you'll see them at all these different locations taking advantage of what's available to them to help them get to to tomorrow Mm -hmm. you know so we're all doing good stuff in this neighbor in this community and i agree i'm i like to help a lot i like to donate as much as i can and hearing more coming up in long beach has always been very fulfilling it from me living here my whole life Getting the opportunity. You grew up here? I grew up here since I was a kid. Yeah, so, so I, I grew up here also. I've been here for 68 years. Yeah. So I, it, it's, it makes me feel very full-hearted when I get to hear more things coming about. If there's anything I'm able to do to help people to make this community more of what it already is, which is wholesome, it's beautiful, it's welcoming, it's diverse. Like We have so much to be happy, grateful, and proud of in this community. And now that things are starting to get some more light to them, like this podcast, being able to give everybody a platform to speak about what it is that is going on in the community is that step that I'm happy to be part of. And now learning more about the soup kitchen, learning more about other groups to volunteer with just gives it more exposure to give it this light to say everybody should be doing this or everybody can do something. Yeah. What were some of the challenges faced when transitioning from a corporate career to a role dedicated to helping others? You know, it's, it's another inter- interesting question. There really wasn't that much of a difference between what I did and what I'm doing now because a lot of what I'm doing as the president is is the back office, a lot of the back office stuff. I still cook on Tuesdays, and I'm still very involved in our guests, but it's a matter of managing finances, and it's managing folks, volunteers, keeping everybody in line. There was no organization when before I, before I joined, and when I became president, we put together a, a, a plan of every day needs to do it this way. You can't divert from that. There's got to be consistency. The one thing the inn taught us was to be consistent. So the, the transition was simple. You take what you learned as a, as a career salesperson, businessman, and translate it over to 
helping people and managing a soup kitchen. Really pretty seamless to be honest yeah. with you, Justin. Yeah, I mean, sales is sales, you know. It, yeah, we're, that, we're still, we're selling ourselves to the community, to the world, right. to, to, you know, whoever wants to listen, that's what we're doing. And with that comes donations. Mm -hmm. It comes with foundations that have found us and we've found them and have been successful in them helping us with, with, you know, certain projects that we've had. And again, that's part of putting yourself out there, expo giving yourself exposure to the people who care about what's happening our, right. in our community. And that especially like piggyback off of that, for us, what we say, like the number one rules of rule of sales is trust, you know, and everything you were just highlighting, that's a foundational piece. Sure. You need to, to have that trust. People won't donate to a, a foundation if they don't trust it. Absolutely. And you and everybody over at the soup kitchen has, have been able to make it a legit 501c, being able to have the opportunity to say like, this is a legit business and we're able to help a lot of different people trust us. And now this is skyrocketed past what was even- Oh, it's mind boggling. I don't need, I don't want to get into the finances, but we have, we have, again, we were working on a, a beer budget and now we're working with a champagne budget where we can do certain things that we could never awesome. have done in the past. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we can buy things that our guests want, that we want to cook for our guests. Our meals are about as good as it gets. I mean, there's no skimping. This is restaurant quality. We're not chefs, we're cooks, but this is restaurant quality food. I mm -hmm. mean, and Trader Joe's has been an incredibly good partner of ours where, you know, we'll have a, a refrigerator that's full from top to bottom with Trader Joe's uh, stew meat and, and steaks. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I mean, you can't even imagine the quality of stuff that we're cooking for our guests, which is makes us happy that we're able to do it. It's right. not just pork and beans. Right. It's not just, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. It's not just tuna fish sandwiches. You know, we, we're doing we're doing a, a cold meal. And then we're doing a full hot meal. You know, the one thing that we that we don't do now during the pandemic, since the pandemic was, is serve a, a salad. That's the one thing that we're going to try and figure out how we can get back into that mode. Because we would give our guests, the hot meal would consist of a soup, a carbohydrate, a protein, a vegetable, a salad, a fruit salad, and juice and water. And now we've had to eliminate the salad because we just don't have access because we were getting a lot of things. We were, had our own garden. Oh, we were wow, growing awesome. things and using them, tomatoes and herbs and things. We have now different groups, organizations like the Surf Rider, Rider Foundation. Uh, they're helping us with some produce that they're growing. The Point Lookout um, Community Garden. The beach community garden they're all bringing things but it's not enough for us to make a salad for 50 people right. it's helping us with sandwiches and you know we're able to give some of that away as well so uh, it's it's it, it it just you know what it has worked man it's just yeah. it it, it didn't listen I, i've been very lucky in, in life i have fallen into great jobs with tremendous opportunities i'm not the smartest guy in the world i may be the luckiest guy but i'm not the smartest and in this case it was it was there. It was every the the basis of this organization was there. It was just needed to grow, right? And to piggyback again off of that, I think yes, some luck had to do with it. But at the same time, I don't think it's a coincidence because of the amount of good you've been putting out into the world. Well, you know? thank you. I don't think I I'm. This could be me projecting as well. Like you coming up into the years of your corporate job, I'm sure you were doing good. You know, I'm sure you were helping others subconsciously where you see somebody who needed help walking across the street or just picking something up for somebody when they like holding the door open. True. Being just a naturally good person. I don't think of it that way. Right. It, does, it didn't happen 
all the time. It was just it would ha- it would it would it was there. It was in yeah. front of me, and it it you know you're right. But you know, again, a lot of it has to do with the organization that I'm now currently with and the people that we're working with. It's not a one man show. It's you know there's 30 of us that make this thing run. Right, and like I said, it's not a coincidence. You guys are all great people, and to be doing something bigger than yourselves is always admirable to anybody. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And when and we're not doing it for the podcasts, and we're not doing it for the Herald articles. We're doing it because we love what we do. Right. But we appreciate the podcast. Right. <laughs> In what ways do you believe community involvement and volunteering can positively impact individuals and society as a whole? But those are, that's, that's a question that's way beyond my capability of necessarily answering it. You know, the community has stepped up in a big way. I don't know that a lot of people who have asked to volunteer, we have a laundry list of people, a wait list of people that are vol- want to volunteer. We don't need all of them at one time. We're kind of trying to. I don't know that they would have had the experience to be to participate in an organization like ours because mm-hmm. there's not that many of them in Long Beach. And I think that, you know, we see at any event that we have the, the outcrying of wanting to help in some shape, way, shape, or form. You know, we get, I got a, a you know, person that left a message on a machine today. They had a death in their family and they had extra bread. Would we like it? We see this all the time where people have a block party and they have, you know, loaves of, or, or bags of hot dogs. And that's, that's how the community gives back to us without having the commitment of being at the soup kitchen right. every day. So it's, it's, it's out there. The exposure's out there. People, just donating money, man, is is giving back that yeah. people never even thought of. I mean, we did. My, my wife and I did a little bit of, of philanthropic work, but very little, and that's really all it took. That's all we are able to do, and that's what people are doing now. They're giving back in small ways, and it's greatly appreciated uh, at every level. Right, and like I said earlier, like I appreciated so much of coming from this community and hearing those type of stories because people want to help. There are people who are good and want to help. Sure. A lot of people associate New York with always being hard nosed. Right. And Rough no, and tumble. Right. Who cares? You know, look the other way. Right. right. And finally getting an opportunity to hear it and it being, having some limelight to get out of that darkness of always hearing the negatives. Like there are positives and people are willing. We are, we are a positive. We are, we are absolutely a positive that's, part of my life and all of the other volunteers lives and now affecting we served uh, 80 meals yesterday we served 63 meals today those people are part of our life now right uh, and it's it's that's how the that's how we as a community is helping the community it's neighbors helping neighbors right and it's it's very cool you know i agree what are some of the most pressing issues faced by the homeless and food insecure population in the area, and how does Long Beach Soup Kitchen address these challenges? It's a really tough question to answer because I don't think we have a big homeless population. We don't see a homeless population. We're not seeing people with all of their belongings. You know, there's there are a few. Mm-hmm. They come and go. They become transient. They, you know, they. We had there was a, a young couple that had been coming to the soup kitchen for you know months and months and months we knew they were homeless they had backpacks they had everything that they owned with them uh, and then they they're gone mm-hmm. where do they go we don't really know uh, they could have moved they could have been in jail they could have died we know that we've lost a couple of guests uh, over the years 
A couple of, of folks died under the Long Beach Reynolds Channel Bridge in, in the winter, froze to death. So we there is a homeless population, but it's very, very sporadic, very small. Uh, and the, the food insecurities, you know, I it, it's a big topic in today's world. I think it's become a bigger topic because of the pandemic. Uh, and what we do is we think we're helping those people that are food insecure. Uh, we know we are, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, how, does, how does that change? Uh, you know, I'm not smart enough to... You know, my wife keeps telling me that she's always pissed off at football players and basketball players and baseball players and celebrities who, you know, talk about their $250 million contracts a year, all this nonsense and all the money that's being thrown at celebrities and people in, in, cor in the corporate life. And could they solve food insecurities? And, and, and I, I guess they could if they each got together and donated. Each, listen, these guys are worth billions and billions of dollars. What's one billion dollar to Elon Musk? Right. You know, right. I mean, but a billion dollars could certainly go a long way to help food insecurity. We can't. We can only do our our part, and uh, the world has to get together and do their part. And hopefully, at some point, and it won't be in our lifetimes. At least, not my lifetime. Will we ever see that ever happen? But there are a lot of good people who donate a lot of money, and and hopefully the money's being used effectively to help people. Right, and especially off of that, knowing like you're doing exactly what you can do, what things are in your control and whatever is in your control, you're just sticking to that because that's all you can do. Yeah, I mean, we're limited to what we can do. We're limited to who we can serve and how many we can serve. We will certainly expand as there's a need to expand, but it's, listen, I wish that we could become a gigantic philanthropic organization, 501c3, and we'll have 50 people working in an office somewhere doing a lot of great things for a lot of people across the Nassau, Suffolk, the United States. That's not a reality. We do what we do, and we do it very well. And I don't know that we're we could ever be prepared to do more than what we're doing. We could certainly expand, but we can't expand to the point of where we're going to cure you know, world, world hunger. Right. I'd like, I'd like to think that maybe we could, mm -hmm. but I doubt it for our little organization. We again, do what we do right. and we're going to stick with that. And you're doing exactly that. You're doing exactly what you do and you do it well. That's uh, awesome. Thank you. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> what advice would you give someone who wants to make a meaningful difference in their community? Well, certainly if there is no food pantry or soup kitchen, start one. I mean, it's not that difficult. Um, affiliated with an, a new st a startup organization that's helping a community that was lacking services. Where, if anybody's out there that wants, call me. We'll help you for sure. And that leads into my next question: Where can the listeners find you, and where can they find the soup kitchen? So our kitchen is located at 140 West Pine Street in Long Beach, um, off of Nets. Fill out an application, and our volunteer coordinator Nicole will get back to you. There's also a tab to donate if you want to donate. We have a PayPal account. We haven't figured out the whole Venmo thing yet. We're still working on that. There's a couple of glitches going on. Uh, we, uh, you know, so those and, and again, cash, money, checks, uh, any check. Ourselves.